Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. How do you get to the point where you are okay living with a 500-pound tiger in your apartment? Let me tell you how you get there. First of all, your name is Antoine Yates, and this is for real story. You can look it up on YouTube and watch the entire Animal Planet special about it. But Antoine Yates grew up in Harlem, New York City, and he lived in an old apartment. But all his life, he, want, he loved animals. He had a connection with animals. He was great with dogs and cats and lizards and snakes and all this stuff. But he wanted to have a zoo of his own. He wanted to... He wanted to be a zoo owner. So what he did, uh, he had his little apartment in New York City, but he had a dream. And so just like any dreamer, he doesn't see obstacles. He goes to Ohio. He convinces a lady to sell him three lion cubs and a tiger cub. And he comes back to New York City in his Harlem apartment and starts raising these, these four animals. Now, along the way, he starts to realize that um, it's quite hard to manage all these these four growing beasts in his small apartment. So he does sell the three lion cubs, but he keeps the tiger cub because he still has this dream. And over the next three years, the little baby tiger club grows up to be a full-size tiger in his Harlem apartment. Okay, now I want you to think about this. This, this. Every time I hear the story, I always think about one thing. Like, how much kitty litter does that require? Right? Like, how do you, man- how do you manage a 500-pound animal in an apartment. Like what, here, Antoine, Antoine's family was very concerned about him. He would, say, he would say things like, I have this connection. I know this animal. It's perfectly safe. It's no problem. But he, the longer, as these years went by, it was a three- or four-year process where he, he left his apartment less, stayed in his apartment longer because he had this connection with this animal and it required, you know, for him to be around to kind of keep it calm and controlled. And when he was around, it, it would basically do what he asked it to do. He fed it and, and cared for it. But his family was concerned because he kept withdrawing more and more from people and spending all of his time in the apartment with this animal. And plus, they were scared because it's a 500-pound tiger. Like, how do you, like one guy asked me after the service, he's like, how do you even sleep at night? I don't know. It's not like a door's going to keep it out of your room. Like, if it wants to snuggle, it's going to snuggle, right? So, I mean, just imagine this whole process of going through this years, years of this. And then one day, Antoine, being the animal lover, he notices a little black house cat outside of his apartment door that looks scrawny, looks like it needs to be taken care of. So he brings in this little bitty black house cat into his apartment with his tiger. And a few days go by, and as Antoine is feeding the little kitty cat, the tiger attacks the cat. And Antoine, just being the cat lover that he is, steps between a tiger and a house cat to protect it, and is bitten and injured. And when I say escapes with his life, I mean he escapes the apartment with his life. His brother comes by, and they go to the emergency room, and Antoine finally has this moment where he's like, I guess I have to tell him about the tiger. Right? <laughs> I guess I have to figure out how to say this, tell this story because 
this tiger is now in his apartment and has tasted human blood. And, uh, okay, what's going to happen now when I go back? So he, he's got to tell, and they, they tell the, the New York City police, and the New York City police are so smart. They're like, we're not just going to bust in here and, like, attack a tiger. They cut a hole in his door to see what's going on. And they just want to be able to peek in. So they cut a hole, and they look in. And the, the arriving officer talks about this experience in the video. You've you got to go watch this video. He looks through, and he says, and I see a terrible-looking animal facing me. <laughs> like that, that would be nightmare, number one. So they convince a policeman to repel from the roof and do this. Do you see this beast? Oh, my gosh. So he's got a tranquilizer gun, and what he's done, he, he repelled down on the outside window, and this opening down here at the very bottom of the window, he shot a tranquilizer through there and hit that tiger. And when it, that tranquilizer hit the tiger, the tiger rushed the window. And this guy says, yep, yep, that's me. I'm dangling food. That's what I'm going to be. I'm dangling meat. I mean, he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is real life, people. I didn't make this up. This is too good to be true, right? This is so good. This, this tiger living in this part, they finally get it out. It, it's asleep, and this, arrest, this officer goes, you just had to touch this tiger as, it, as they carried it out unconscious. He said it was an amazing, beautiful, well-taken-care-of animal, but it was locked in an apartment, and nobody knew about it for years. That's crazy. Now, you're asking, what in the world does that have to do with spiritual habits? We're going to get there, okay? But let me remind you why we started this series called Habits. First of all, We've been talking about that spiritual habits keep us connected to Jesus. That spiritual habits are not designed to tell us how spiritual you are. And they're not designed to, to, to make sure that I feel good about myself. And they're not sh- there to make sure that we have some pride around the fact that we're doing it better than somebody else. And it's not all these things that if you, if you do them, then you're, you're set. And if you don't do them, then man, I don't know what to do for you. It's not that. Spiritual habits are just like any other habits in our lives. You do this at work. You do this in your parenting, you do this with your hobbies, you do this with your exercise and your health. You create habits to do what? To allow you and enable you to do something you cannot do by willpower alone. Like the whole purpose of producing a habit in your life, the reason I get up and I pack my gym shoes the night before is so that I can just easily grab my gym bag on the way out to the gym. I don't have to think about it. And in that moment in the morning when I'm tired and I think about it, I don't pack my shoes. I don't go for my run or I don't go to the gym. I don't do my thing. But the night before, if I pack my shoes, I pack my stuff, I have the ball bag ready to go, and it's already by the door that I can just, even though I don't want to go, I pick up the bag and take because it's, it's a habit, right? I do this habit in order to empower me to do what my willpower can't do. The reason why my wife packs uh, a little bit of cereal and and measures out her milk every day, I'm not kidding you guys, she is so disciplined, but she does that. Why? Because she's crazy? No, because she knows that if she can pack these measured things, even as she gets hungry throughout the day, she's got these portions, it's just enough, and and it keeps her going, and it's a habit she does because willpower alone will not get her there, Right? Same thing you do in your parenting. You know, you read a book, you read a podcast, and guess what? Your willpower says, I don't want my child, when they get to be 12, they're not going to do this blank. And I said X in the first, somebody said, you know that's a drug, right? It's like, okay, well, that fits, right? I'm not going to let them do X, right? But then they reach 12 or 13, and guess what I do? I, I guess I let them go do whatever it was, right? And Because you didn't have a habit in place, right? So habits prevent us from doing what willpower alone cannot help us do. Spiritual habits are the same way. The spiritual habits I've been trying to convince you about is basically things that you put into your life. It's hard to do. It's difficult to start. It's difficult to keep going. But it's worth it because it allows you to do things like Jesus did them. 
because you're close to him, you can respond like he did. You can love like he did. You can treat people like he did. You can serve people like he did. And you can change your world like he did. That's why we have spiritual habits. So in that idea, if you're, if you're following along with me in this series, and you're like me, you already follow Jesus. If you don't, you'll get this as well. But we as followers of Jesus, guess what? Sometimes we don't get it right, do we? In fact, if you try to do this disciple of Jesus thing, you're going to fail at some point. And not only that, you're going to fail over and over and over and over again. Because I don't know about you, but I know me. And I know that there are times when I try to be forgiving and I don't want to forgive. And I hold a grudge for a really long time. And finally, I produce forgiveness because I pray about it and work through it. And I finally get to the point where I'm able to forgive. But I fail over and over and over again at being really good at it. Sometimes I fail at keeping my mouth shut when I want to say something. And I fail over and over and over again on making feel, people feel insignificant and small and unloved because of the way I speak. Listen, we all have to deal with this undeniable 500-pound tiger in our lives. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, you understand this. But guess what? You can't even follow your own standards for living very well. There are times in our lives we want to be a great worker. We want to produce good work. We want to do really good things. But you know what we do? Sometimes we come home. We don't do the extra work required. We don't do what we require. We sit down and watch TV. We watch hours of Netflix. And we're like, yeah, let's just call it in. Let's phone it in. Sometimes you don't, you don't call the person you know you should call and talk to and start a conversation even though it's going to be hard. You don't do that because you're like, yeah, just phone it in. We don't even live up to our own standards of who we want to be sometimes. So we all get this. There's nobody in the room here like, nah, I don't understand failure. Nah, I don't fail. Okay, whatever, all right? So we all have flaws and failures. It's an undeniable thing. We all have something that we live with. And listen, some of you are living on one in the spectrum where you're listening to me talk today and you're like, yeah, phew, man, I have a huge 500-pound tiger in my life, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to get it out. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Okay, so let's talk about what to do with it. What, what do you do if in your, you're in the position? You're trying to, to do this thing called life well. You're trying to love well, live well, pro, produce good things in your life. How do you do that? And you keep failing. How do you deal with this thing? Let me show you what the habit is that you need to put in your life to help you deal with this. It's called confession. Ooh, not fun to talk about, right? Listen, I want to make this simple, okay? I don't want to make it too simple, but let's just talk about confession in these terms. It is praying when you fail, okay? That's how we're going to talk about that. It's, it's a way to approach God and talk about when you fail. And the reason why I want you to, to start to develop a habit is this. Confession is often seen as such a negative, shameful, guilt-producing thing. And it's not. Because for some reason, maybe you've had a difficult time with a church in the past that's made you feel guilty and shameful and that confession has actually made it worse on you and you've had these experiences where you came forward and confessed something that was heavy on you and you wanted to get it out and then somebody made you feel even worse for confessing and man, you're just like, I'm not doing that. Or maybe you grew up and confession wasn't even part of it, just part of your life was hiding things. And you've just learned to just hide and stay in your own little area and just try to stay away from, yeah, and you fail and you mess up and you do some things. But man, the, the thing to do is to bottle that up and hide it away as quickly as possible because, man, we don't want anybody to see that stuff. And here's what we're going to learn today. Confession is not that way. Confession is actually designed to be something totally different. Confession is actually all about helping us understand something different about. In fact, this question kind of comes to mind. What if confession 
is the habit that could produce in you joy, peace, and confidence. What if instead of guilt and shame, what if confession could actually move you past your failures and your flaws and your mess-ups and can move you into an area ready for joy, peace, and confidence in what you're doing? Wouldn't that be worth it to produce that habit? Here's the defense I'm going to make today. I believe that making confession a habitual part of your life can help you move there. And it's all based on what we see people in the Bible write about. Because, listen, I think we often look at confession the wrong way. It's a sad face emoji. But the way people write about confession, and the way David specifically writes about confession in a psalm we're going to look at, a poem he wrote, it's totally different than the way we view it. And so I want to walk you through Psalm 32 and help you understand the way David, King David, one of the most famous kings of Israel. He's the second king of Israel. He's the one that David and Goliath, right? He had that story where he faced a giant nobody else would face. That guy, and he wrote some poetry. He had a lot of flaws and failures. But when he writes about this, I think he writes about it from experience. So let's dive into Psalm 32, and let's jump into this verse and start figuring things out. Verse 1 says, blessed is the one. Now, some of you read this, blessed Blessed is the one. That's a, church, that's a church reading, right? This word is blessed. It's just a, it's a simple word. We all, we all kind of know what blessed means. Like we hashtag it, right? Hashtag when I'm feeling good, right? Hashtag blessed. Okay, Let, let's just be honest. Blessed is that ideal life that we all want to be living. Blessed is an iPhone ad. It is. It really is. I'm not an iPhone user. I think iPhone's secondary, okay? Let's just be honest. Android's better. But listen, The way iPhone does their ads, you know what they make you feel like? They make you feel like, I know your world's hectic. I know you got a crazy life. But your iPhone, when you talk to it, it can organize things for you. And I know you're running all over the place. And you you throw your, your phone in your handbag and in your purse. And it rubs against your keys. Don't worry about it. iPhone's tough enough to keep up with your busy schedule. And sometimes you sit down at the cafe and you spill your drink all over your phone. Your phone is going to be fine. It will still be with you. And don't worry about it dropping on as you're hurrying out the house because you're always late. You're always late, right? And you, you tumble out and it falls down the stairs. You can pick it up and keep going. That phone will stay with you. And guess what? It will be so dependable and so good. You're going to have that moment in the grocery store where your daughter's dancing in the aisle. And that phone is so dependable. You're going to be able to get the perfect shot to post. Hashtag blessed, y'all. Right? It's the ideal life. iPhone ads are so good. They make us feel like, I, yes, my life's hectic, but man, if I could live that way, man, if I could have a phone like that. Right? This is what blessed means to us. So listen, when David talks about this, that's what he's referring to, this ideal life. That picture you have in your head of what great life looks like, that's what he wants to bring to mind. Blessed is the one. The person who's living the ideal life, the person who's got it all together. Maybe they're not perfect, but the person who's got all these things wrapped up, the joy and the peace and the confidence to go forward in their life, that person, who is that person? What about that person? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Didn't go the way you thought it would, did you? Right? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Now, we understand this. I want my sins to be forgiven, right? I do something wrong, I want somebody to forgive me, and let's move on, let's get past it. In fact, I understand this covered thing really well. You know what one of my worst nightmares would be? For on screen right now, for you to see me in video the way I've thought about and talked about people this week. You ever had that moment at work 
where you, you're talking about that one, person, you know, that one person over there and you're talking about it with your friend and suddenly you realize that person's in the room and you're like, oh my gosh, did they hear me? Right? We want our sins to be covered. We want our flaws and failures not to be open. I, I want to retreat into all my failures and flaws need to be held back. I want to cover them up. I don't want people to see what's going on in here. I don't want people to hear my thoughts and things that I do behind the scenes. That would be awful. So I get this, David. Are you, are you telling me I'm blessed if my sins are covered? How does that work? Look at verse 2. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now this is interesting. Blessed is the one, what, man, I, yeah, I would love for the Lord not to count my sins against me. That would be wonderful, great. And to have no, whoa, no deceit. Now hold on. I thought we just talked about my sins being covered. I like my sins to be covered. I like to be over here hanging out where nobody knows what's going on. But if there's no deceit in me, I can't, I can't lie. I can't, I can't hold these things back. David's like, no, no, no. Blessed is the person with no deceit. Blessed is the person who's forgiven. Their transgressions are forgiven. Their sins are covered. The Lord doesn't count their sins against them. But they have no deceit. They don't try to hold things back. They're, trying, they're not trying to hide the 500-pound tiger in their apartment they're trying to keep this a secret no 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 they're doing all these things well well, david this is really tough for me to understand because the only way i see out is to try and stay in my own little world and stay away from all these things and keep everything that's wrong with me because the things that are wrong with me usually cause problems and david's like yeah i know i know that but listen the blessed life is in these things And then he explains this in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You guys know what he's talking about here. You felt this. You've hidden secrets before. You ever lied to your mama? I've lied to my mama. Oh, man. My brother was okay lying to my mama. I was not okay with it. I say that in jest. He really did worry about it. But listen, we would lie to her. She'd, be coming, she'd come in and find us playing video games like, like Nintendo, you know what I'm saying? And she'd be like, did you finish your homework? And we'd be like, of course, Mom, knowing we hadn't done it. And guess what that did to me? Oh, my gosh, the whole night I was worried. My mama going to find out I didn't do homework? What if, what if, oh, man, if she finds, you know, and that started to waste away in me. Like, I didn't have the energy I once had. I wasn't enjoying playing the game as much anymore because, like, man, if she finds out, we are dead meat, right? That's what, isn't that what hiding does to you? Isn't that what deceit does to you? David understands this. He's like, I'm reading your emails, people. When you lie about stuff, when you're trying to hide away all your flaws and your fails, when you try to keep that to yourself and you try to pull away, that just wastes your life away. It saps your strength. You don't have joy You don't have peace. You don't have confidence going forward. That's why so many of you are still insecure about so many things because you are still holding on to failures and flaws and you can't see past those failures and flaws so you can't even approach the next part of your career or your parenting or your relationship status because you are not confident enough to take the hard step forward. And David understands this. He knows exactly where we're at because he's been there. He's hidden things away. He's tried it the the way that we all try to do it. And he knows exactly what we're feeling. 
And in this moment, we wonder, and this is what I love. I, was, I, I taught English for a long time, and, and teaching poetry was fun, because in this, in this poem, you got these four verses that set up the problem. And they set up this kind of like, here's what the blessed life looks like. It's this, then this, and this. And you're like, that's not blessed. That's not blessed. That doesn't look like blessed. And he's setting up this problem. And then he releases this, this wonderful verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. It's a turn. It's a change, right? So I did all these things. I know what the blessed life looks like. It looks like the person who's forgiven. The Lord doesn't count their sins against them. There's nothing hidden. There's no deceit. It's all out in the open. But the sins are still covered. I don't understand how that works. But I decided, I finally made the decision, I would confess. I would come forward. I would be honest about where I had messed up. This is really not fun to talk about. But this is the turn. This is the change. Now, he uses three different words here that I want to point out. I'm not going to talk to you about the Hebrew words this week, but you can go look them up. Go to blueletterbible.org and you can look up this verse, Psalm 32.5. Look at sin, iniquity, and transgressions and look at those words behind it. But let me, let me just give you the idea that David is trying to cover here. He's trying to cover all these different ways in which we mess up. Okay, So he uses three different words for it in order to point us to, toward three different ways that we often refuse to confess. Okay, So let me show you number one. He talks about sin being a failure of our purpose. Listen, God created you. Created you for a purpose. He created you to be his representative in this world. We, David's referencing this idea that in Genesis, that man was created in the image of God. That's a, that's a, that's a huge idea if you think about that. You were created in the image of God. You, you are to be taking care of everything in your life in representative of who God is, to love, forgive, encourage, unselfishly give, generously give, serve, do all the things that God has modeled. You are to be His image wherever you go. Listen, even if you don't believe that you were created in the image of God, you believe in the inherent value of human beings. If you didn't, then you'd be okay with slavery, and you'd be okay still locking people with disabilities in the attics because that's what happened for a long, long time until we realized, no, 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 no. People are valuable regardless of what they bring to the table. They are people, and they're valuable. They were created in the image of God in my terms. But even if you're not sure you agree with that, you would agree that we all have this inherent value. Listen, don't we sometimes fail to live up to that image, that value? Of course we do. Sometimes we just don't do the right thing, even though we know what's in us and what's available to us. We just don't do it. We don't have the courage we should have sometimes. We, don't, we live with anxiety and worry instead of having this confidence in what we're doing. We fail at this overall purpose sometimes. That's huge. Number two, the, another word he uses, he talks about straying from the path. The word he uses talks about waywardness. Now, don't you sometimes end up doing things and you find out later that it totally hurts somebody's feelings? Man, don't you love that good friend who looks at you and be like, dude, you're being a jerk right now. Because that's very helpful sometimes. Because sometimes you don't know you're being a jerk. You don't know that you're not being a person who's loving. You think you are, and you're not. David's like, dude, would you please recognize that sometimes you don't even know how bad you are? <laughs> like, would you just be willing to admit that sometimes you are so messed up, you don't even know how messed up? That's very encouraging to me. It may not be to some of you, but listen, that makes me feel really, really good. Because somebody gets me. Like, I'm that person who sometimes ends up doing something that I just didn't know was wrong. I didn't know it was hurtful. And it's so good to find out. 
It's so good to, to kind of come clean with that person and be like, I'm so sorry, I, I had no idea. That feels really good. And then he says, number three, sometimes you cross a line. That word transgression, to cross a line, aren't there times, are you like me? I look at the line and be like, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to do it anyway. Because, man, it's going to feel really good to tell that person off. <laughs> right? We see a line and we cross it. You know what? I shouldn't be pursuing this relationship with this other person, but I know I'm married, but, but it won't hurt this one time to flirt. Whoa, 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 right? Whoa, didn't I make a promise? Whoa, didn't I, right? I see a line, I go over it anyway. Are you kidding me? And David's going, all three of these areas. Listen, I know, I know this is a scary word in our culture today, but that's, what, that's all that sin is. Sin, sin are those things where we just fail at doing the things we know we should be doing and we know that is in us to do, and we just don't do them. For whatever reason, David's pointing at it going, I've got to confess that sometimes I don't live up to this purpose you've given me, God. And I've got to confess that I don't even know how broken I am. And I'll be honest with you, I've got to confess that there have been times when I've done things and knowingly done them, knowing that they would hurt the other person across the table but I did them anyway. He puts it all on the table. And here's my question to you. What if, what if confession could be that thing, that confidence? What, what if, you guys go to that next slide. Then I acknowledge, sorry, go back to the verse. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's what happens. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wouldn't it be nice to know? Now you can go to that next slide. Go to that. Can you imagine the confidence that if you could get it all out on the table, if you could just be open and honest about your flaws and failures, that confession, that confidence confession give you not in yourself but in God and his forgiveness for you? There was no debate in this verse. David's like, I confessed it, you forgave. I owned up to it, you forgave. There was, you know, we, you know what we think? We think there's some like this, this brokenness that we have to come to and there's, there's this thing that we have to earn from God our forgiveness. Like we have to either feel bad enough or at least feel, I don't know, we have to feel really, really sorry. If we can feel sorry enough and I can make myself sad enough and bad enough and if I can do that, then God will be like, oh, okay, well, I can see how sorry you are. Now that you feel that way, I can forgive. What if it was this way? What if you were... Also, very realistic about your flaws and your failures and the things where you get it wrong. And you could be honest about that and look at it and be like, man, I just, I'm terrible at that. Man, I can't believe I did that. I'm what if you could be honest about all those things and at the same time be completely confident that God's forgiveness is upon you? This is what confession bridges the gap on. Confession allows us to be honest about everything that we do wrong so that we can be confident, not in ourselves knowing we'll get it right the next time because we know we're probably going to fail again at some point, but we don't have to be fatalistic about our lives. We have to point forward to what God has done in us, and God has given us forgiveness that empowers us to go forward in the next avenue. It gives us freedom. Look how David talks about this in verse 6. Therefore, Right? Since God forgives you. Because he forgives you, therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. 
surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach those people, right? And, and David, man, in great poetic form, talks about these rising waters. Everybody reading this poem in Hebrew context would be thinking about the flood in Noah. And, and David's like, listen, when you confess and you come clean, guess what? You escape the rising waters. Not because you're good enough, but because God forgave you and he'll keep you safe from the rising waters. His forgiveness does that for you. Oh, what a huge image, right? Your confession brings forgiveness that keeps you out of the mighty waters, right? Look at verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David is looking at God and going, I, I can hide from everything and hide in this apartment with this 500-pound tiger or I can hide in you. See, I'm not sure I can keep up with this thing, but maybe if I can come clean about it all, You'll be my hiding place. Maybe you'll cover my sins. Ooh, that would be cool. I wouldn't have to hide them myself. I can hide in you and your forgiveness, God. You can release me from all the stuff I'm trying to hide, and you can give me a confidence that it's been forgiven. It's been taken care of. And it will protect me. When I come forward, when I'm open and honest, I now can see the pattern in my life that keeps breaking down and I can produce new habits to keep me from going there ever again. It protects me to be honest. It protects me to find forgiveness. It protects me to come forward and know my flaws and forgiveness is there for me. Look at verse 8. This is what I love about this poem. Now David switches from his own voice to God's voice talking back to him and he says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And here's what David says God's response is. God's looking at us go that now that you've come forward and been honest and had no deceit and you completely unveiled everything that you've done and your, all your flaws and your failures and you, you confess all that, now I can teach you the way you should go. I used to be a teacher in a classroom, right? And I could look at which students were going to learn in my class and which ones weren't. You think, oh, you're so prideful. No, no, after years and years of watching students might come alone, you know, you know who I watched for? The kid who was willing to let me tell them that they didn't know everything. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, right? The kid who came in and thought he already knew where his life was going, he wasn't going to need to know how to write a research paper. Guess what? He wasn't going to learn a thing from me. You know why? You can't teach somebody something they don't want to learn. And so God's looking at all of us going, listen, once you clear the table and you're honest about what you're getting wrong, now I can teach you how to do it right. Now I can show you where you're messing up. Because you know what I think our problem is? We are so used to confessing things only when we get caught that we are only confessing things that we do and the actions. Well, I'm really sorry I said that to you. You know what we're not confessing? not confessing the pride we have because we think we're better than that person. We think if we can just confess, well, I'm sorry I said those words, that that's good enough. Well, guess what? That's going to jump on you again. Your pride will continue to get you in trouble. But what if you could confess so openly that not only do you confess the act, but you confess the motivation behind it? Well, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I didn't get you that gift. I, was, I said I'd give you. I, I mean, I said I'd get it for you. I didn't get it. You were just selfish, you bought yourself something, right? But you didn't confess the selfishness. You just confessed the act. And God's saying, stop, stop being so surface. 
Like, I can actually teach you. I'm here to lovingly counsel you. I'm here to help you. I'm for you. I'm not trying to catch you doing something wrong. I'm trying to prevent you from running into things that are going to hurt you. So please, hey, confess to me so I can help you see past these really awful motivations that tend to pop up in your life, and I can help you navigate past them. It's huge. Confession opens all that up. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. And then David does something that's so cool. He talks directly to all of us who are doubters. We're not sure we can figure this out. He goes to verse 9. He says, Do not let be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, and they will not come to you. I don't know much about horses. I'm not a horse person. But I do know that, that horses, the reason they have a bit in their mouth, the reason they put uh, things on a, a mule's mouth is because that little bit of pain that they learn early on by being jerked by that bit in their mouth causes them to know that when uh, just a slight movement, they're going to follow where you want to go. A horse isn't super smart, but it's smart enough to know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And David looks at everybody and goes, don't be a horse and a mule. (laughs) Don't just be led by the pain of the consequences in your life. Instead, right? Instead, don't be that way. Instead, confess and move forward and be changed by what happens when God comes in and forgives you. And then you're confident in that. You don't have to be stubborn like the mule where you just do what God, God's telling you or somebody tells you because, it, well, it's going to hurt if I don't do that. No, no. What if you were released from that pain to instead being fully confession of what I've been doing wrong and then be free to actually live in a different way because you now know the pitfalls and the things behind all this stuff You get all the way to confessing the tiger that's in your apartment. Not just the little things, but the big thing that keeps you from going forward. What if you could confess that? And then lands in verse 10. Many of the woes of the wicked. Many are the woes. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. So many of us are caught up in in trying to just do it ourselves and cover our own flaws and failures and our sin, and just trying to keep up. And if I can do a few good things, and I can show that I really want to do it, and if I, boy, if I could just really, man, that is woeful living. That is not joy. If we could just learn to be honest and open about our failures and flaws, and also hold in the other hand this forgiveness that God gives us, we would have the power to live in joy, peace, and confidence because we would know That what God says is true. We could trust Him that it is forgiven and that He is there to help us go the next step. But we doubt that. We doubt His love for us. We're not sure He really loves us that much. We're not sure He really forgives us that much. And we're not sure that He's really with us because we think if we keep failing, then He's going to move away. And that's just not true. And Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians and he writes this one verse, and I think he must have been thinking about what David was talking about because he writes this verse to remind the people he's writing to how deeply this idea goes. In 2 Corinthians, he said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are never, ever, ever going to be able to be good enough. So you hiding your flaws and your failures is not actually going to produce in you the joy and the peace and the confidence you want to have in life. 
It's going to have the exact opposite effect on you. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to sap your strength. Listen, we have so misled people about Christian confession. Christian confession should allow every person who believes the fact that Jesus has done something that they could not do for themselves. If you believe that Jesus has forgiven you because he died and paid the price for your sin for you, listen what you can do. You can be absolutely honest about your failures because you know those failures have been taken care of already and now you have hope for your future. You can move forward in the joy knowing that you are forgiven Peace knowing that God is going to offer you counsel and help you avoid those things in the future. And confidence. Confidence. Not in your power, but in Him. That God is giving you the power to keep moving forward. So, let me wrap up with this idea. This is really the big idea. Confession restores our confidence in what Jesus did for us. Not what we do for ourselves. Listen, some of you, don't, you haven't come to this realization yet, but you're, you're still trying to carry and hide your own sin and failures and flaws, and you're trying to do that yourself. And I'm telling you right now, that is not the way to approach this. Confession is the starting process. It is the thing you do. And listen, some of you may need to confess to some actual people you've hurt in your life eventually, but before you go there, why don't you start with just a simple habit of confessing your flaws and your failures? the deep motivations behind what you get wrong to God who is ready to forgive you. He is for you. He wants what's best for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I know this is difficult. This is heavy. This is weighty. But this habit could change the way you think about yourself and it could free you up. So what we're going to do, we're going to end today. I'm going to give you some time to think about this. We're actually going to practice a little meditation today while the band sings to us, okay? They're going to come and do a song. You don't have to sing with them. The words aren't going to be on the screen. It's just going to be them singing. But listen, this, this song is called Safest Place. Listen, the safest place, David said, David said, you are my hiding place. The safest place is for you to go to God with all of it. You can lay down all this stuff. This 500-pound tiger does not have to control your life anymore. It doesn't have to. So by confessing it, you give God the power to come into your life and help you fix it, and you can have confidence he's with you. So as, as the band comes to sing this song, listen, I want to pray for you, and I want you during this song to just do one thing. I want you to think about what's keeping you from confessing. What is it that's, what, what are you concerned about? What are you concerned about doing if you really confess what's going on in your heart and your life at the core of who you are? Because God is here for you. And he has completely forgiven you. (laughs) Your transgressions are not counted against you. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much. God, I pray in these moments that there are people who are carrying heavy, heavy things. And God, I don't want to make light of those. But God, I pray that you would make yourself known to them in the the next few minutes or the next few hours or the next few days. But God, that you would let them know that you are there and you have taken care of all of that. That you have... You have forgiven all their sin through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You sent him for that very purpose. And so they don't have to try to hide. They don't have to try to carry that themselves. God, you are ready to take that on. And so, God, there are some people here today, God, I know that they're not sure what to confess, how to confess. They feel so lost in this whole deal that they're like, man, I don't even know where to start. God, help them to find a place just to start. God, you don't expect us to clean up everything at once. 
but just us coming forward and opening a small little door gives you a window into our lives. And God, when you come in, you're so helpful and so ready to give us the joy and peace and confidence we really need in this life. And God, I pray for even that person here today who's never really realized that the truth of Jesus is for them, that they've been holding on for a long, long time and just trying to keep up themselves and hide away and do good things. But God, I pray today that maybe today would be the the moment they realize that Jesus is here for them too, for them personally. And God, I thank you for this forgiveness that you give me. It gives me joy today that you are my hiding place. And I thank you for that. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.